Hey everyone, and welcome to Castle Run Weekly. My name is Danny. I'm Heather. I'm Eric. There, didn't I? You did. You did. (laughs) Today we have our special guest, and now you have met uh, Eric. (laughs) Um, Eric, uh, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I'm an avid Star Wars fan. I have been since 1977. That's when I was in the womb, and my mother was sitting in the theater watching it. Um, yeah, it was one of the first movies I never saw. So, but it's always <laughs> been with me, and I'm a really big fan of Star Wars. So, I love it. That is awesome. Um, and so, you have uh, some uh, unique qualifications to you about your insight to Star Wars, um, from what I've heard. Um, did you want to elaborate on that? No, or maybe not. No, no, not uh, at all. <laughs> my, uh, my unique insight to Star Wars is I have always collected and read Star Wars ever since I was a kid. Like, if you ever wanted to meet somebody that has read all of the Marvel comics, but I read them when they came out, like on newsstand, or picked up the very first like crappy Han Solo novels and read them like a junkie, that was me. I was a big fan even back then. And it's only ever grown inside me. I never gave up on Star Wars as a kid. Like, there was a whole dry period after Return of the Jedi. I just never stopped. I just kept going for some reason. So, yeah, that's my uniqueness. I love Star Wars. So, cool. That's amazing. Cool. Well, well Eric you're in the right is the place. one that showed me how to do my model for my X-Wing. Yes, I do oh, cool. everything for Star Wars. Toys, books, action figures. Like, if there's a, a stamp or a, a pair of shoes with Star Wars on I'll buy it. There you uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> cool that's amazing well cool so we invited you on to the show f- to actually uh, discuss a pretty cool topic i think um one that uh, i feel is pretty unique and so we're actually going to be talking about uh, building an empire today yes. um so we're going to be talking about the fall of the republic the rise of the empire how it seemingly just appeared overnight um and so eric i'll actually let you take it away from here right there with it appeared overnight that mm-hmm. uh that that's that's kind of not true because to build an empire you have to to kind of fail on so many levels and that's what we see in the pre-imperial days of the the republic or, or the you know coruscant and all that is you see a government in failing the empire mm-hmm. doesn't just spring up overnight you have all the failings of so many senators, galactic governments, and so on and so forth that are all kind of pivoting on this war effort that's going on. And what's the best way to combine forces and get people to march together? War. And that's what Palpatine uses. The, the idea of empire was always in his mind because he was restoring the Sith to their rightful place as rulers of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a huge idea that would affect everything in the Star Wars universe, from the Jedis to the common folk to religious freedoms. Uh, the the formation of those time periods of the, the Clone Wars and whatnot, so, so very important to building the, the Empire. And it's never just a quick thing. It's not. Padme right. stands there and she says, well, this is how, you know, 
this is how freedom ends, you know, with, with these clapping applause. But it's so not true. It, it begins so much sneakier and more insidious than that. Um, so, yeah. Right. Um, right. And I, I will ramble, so stop me. Oh, no, no, no we're good. Uh, no, we we agree that it didn't happen overnight. It just seemed. Sure, um, it, it did. It seemed to happen overnight, but that, that's very much in line with some of our own history on this planet, uh, Earth, with uh, the rise of certain Germanic forces uh, in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, those people didn't just show up overnight. They were always there. There were very, very many things that, that came to play uh, to put them into power. And the same is true of the Star Wars universe because it is based uh, slightly on our own history. Hence, we call them stormtroopers. Right. And Imperial officers are definitely modeled after the, the Germans of World War II, the Nazis. I, I hate using mm -hmm. the word even, but I'll use it for this because I love Star Wars. And you need to know how bad <laughs> the Empire is and why it's bad and how it got there. So it's a very important topic, I think. Um, yeah. So... What, what do you think makes for the best government? Because this is a, a question that basically Anakin Skywalker delves into because he's talking about what works and doesn't work. In, in, he, he just says people just need to get together and talk about the problems, right? Right. And mm -hmm. something that Palpatine like uses against Anakin, and he even uses it against the galaxy to say, all you got to do is tell me what your problems are and we can work on them together and fix it. And that's a very seductive idea. That's the same idea that Hitler used in Germany was, hey, German people, we have all these problems. And if you just tell me, I'll fix it for you. I'll, I'll make things to help you with that. We got to go to war to fix a few things, but it's not going to be that bad. And that's mm. basically what Palpatine sells to the galaxy. So, yeah, to get the, the mechanics of a full-blown empire built, you need something. Hitler used the Autobahn. Palpatine used the Death Star and he used the mechanization of the clone troopers, the, the, the industry of war to mobilize people and to get them going and to kind of, I guess, galvanize them into what would eventually become an empire. It's very, very cool stuff, I, I think. I do, like, too. And I love um, how he went from the people, supposedly a people-driven society where everyone had a voice and blah. And then it's very into the empire that's very logistical and, mm -hmm. you know, my way or the highway, um, the imperial way sure, of sure. thinking. Right. Well, you know, you can look at, at, at Naboo and its kind of political system, because this is where Palpatine cuts his teeth as a young, like, you know, senator or, or, or you know, government official. And Naboo is a planet that's ruled by a central leader. It's not really a democracy. They have a queen. So, you know, in and of itself, you can see even in a small way, the roots of what Palpatine eventually becomes, because let's face it. Queen Amidala isn't exactly the best example of a great ruler. She kind of fails. <laughs> no. Even on her own planet, there's a certain amount of xenophobia that will later transcend uh, the empire itself in Palpatine. The, the, the Naboo people, the, the people in Theed and whatnot, they hate the Gungans. They're, they're like racist. They don't want the Gungans around. <laughs> this is Palpatine's own backyard. You know, like this is it's very, very cool stuff. And it's very well thought out. And sometimes it seems a little hokey. But if you stop and put all the pieces together, you'll see that a lot of really smart people 
thought about the telling of this story and what it meant to the characters inside. And that's another thing that I, I very much love about Star Wars, um, is that it has a great truth and depth to it that you don't find in movies, I guess, like, you know, uh, Herbie the Love Bug or something. I mean, <laughs> who doesn't love Herbie the comparison. Love Bug? But it's not that deep. I mean, it's about a car on conk. Like, it, it's cool. But, you know, going back to some of the formation of the Empire and stuff like that, and like I was saying, what was the seduction of the Empire? Why would people go along with an Empire? And we look backwards at, at, at like Valorum, like Chancellor Valorum's time period and whatnot. And we see that the government, much like our own, is run by corporations. It's run by businesses that don't have the best in mind for its people. And that makes it an easy kind of thing for a Palpatine to step in. And we see that even in our own world today with certain rug-headed, poor-faced people, um, you know, <laughs> running the show. It, it becomes like an easy, an easy kind of target to say, I know how to fix this. I, I know how to get power. All I have to do is tell the majority of people that all your dreams are going to come true. Vote for me. Like, it, it's fine. Just clap. We're all going to make this work together, and it's for you and for me. But Palpatine is totally out for himself always. And that's what's impressive about the Sith and the Empire is the Empire is not a government of the people. It's a government for itself. And that's it. That's all it cares about. So, yeah. What do you think about that? I think that um, Imperials, it's easier to let someone make decisions for you in a lot of ways. That okay. you can sit there and you can say, oh, this is how, this is what's important to me because this is what's supposed to be important to me. Being told from the time that you're born that this is what you're going to do and, you know, and you grow if you're indoctrinated into that society. Right. So could, could you say that the clone troopers themselves are a model of what it's like to take people and to basically spoon feed them what you want? Like, I mean, because I look at things like incubators, like, is this Palpatine's incubator to find out, can I do this with, will people just do what I tell them to do, whether it makes sense or not? Will they just go along with it? Because imagine if all of a sudden your own government was like, hey, we, uh, we have a secret army of several <laughs> thousands uh, soldiers that just kind of came out. They're all the same. You good? Because apparently under, under Palpatine's rule, they were good. Mm -hmm. Everybody was like, oh, wow, great. A, a secret clone army that no one knows where they come from. We will totally accept that. Right. And awesome. So in my own day and age, I can see that going over kind of. But simultaneously, I think I would end up on the side of the rebels or at least a smuggler. Um, yeah. <laughs> they got better clothes, I think, than the rebels. I mean, rebel clothes kind of look lame. They look like they're they're working at you know, Jiffy Loop or something, big helmets. I'm totally, I'm, I'm totally a rebel, so. Yeah, no, that's okay. You you enjoy your Jiffy Loop outfit and giant helmet. Like, uh, you know, because they're, they're very ridiculous looking helmets. You have to admit that. I do. The helmet itch in yeah. Star Wars, though, I mean. Yeah, because like uh, the Rebel Trooper helmet that you see in A New Hope, that's a, that's a flak helmet for British artillery guns, just in case you didn't know. Huh, um, I didn't know that. Because uh, they can buy all that stuff for like on the cheap. <laughs> you know, uh, for the special effects department. And um, yeah, so the Empire, what effect does the Empire have on alien race 
relations. I mean, that's a, a huge concept in Star Wars as well, because we see the enslavement of the Wookiees and mm-hmm. the subjugation of, of Kajik. Uh, we see, uh, you know, the spice mines of Kessel, you know, that the droids are afraid. Droid rights. I mean, you wouldn't think that toasters need rights, but <laughs> you, you, you watch C-3PO and R2-D2 trying to walk into a bar on a crappy little outer rim world and people are still anti-robot because they remember the Clone Wars. Some of those mm. guys were like, robots killed my families. Robots killed my planet. Like, there will be no robots, no droids allowed in here. So that's a huge concept to say, you know, uh, the Empire, it doesn't just affect the military. It affects all parts of life. And I was telling Heather recently about a really cool book called Guardians of the Will. And, and it's mm-hmm. about uh, some of the characters from Rogue One, uh, their little backstory and stuff like that. And it shows like uh, like the occupation of Jeddah and the closure of the Temple of the Wills and, and what the Empire kind of takes from the people by harvesting the, the, the Kyber crystals is their hope. It's their faith. Like they shut down their temples and they literally begin to mine a sacred gem to this religious order and they have no care for that whatsoever. And it's a very, very fascinating concept because you look at other facets of the empire and you begin to realize that, A, it, it has no place for spirituality. It frowns upon it, actually. It has no place for individuality. And it has no place really for what I call the essence of the force, which is all living things. It's not alive. The empire is slate gray. It has no decoration. It's, it's just a dead thing. It's logistical. Yeah, it's very mechanical. Mm -hmm. It's logistical. It's utilitarian. Like, we don't waste. Hence, TIE fighters don't have hyperdrives or shields or anything, really. Because why would we waste that on just people stuffed in, like, tin cans flying around space? It's silly. We can just put more (laughs) of them in there. And if we don't have more, we'll just grow them in, like, some tubes because we did that and it was okay. So, yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's so much that you can look at the Empire and say, wow, in comparison to your own world and your own day and age, because that's kind of what George Lucas was was doing with his story was this was almost a, a, a parable of the Vietnam War. Like he was looking at at so many so many interesting things, you know, because George Lucas, you, you wouldn't think it, but he's a very smart guy. You know, he's not just some guy with a double chin that that quietly beats <laughs> in the corner. He's he's a super duper smart guy. And looking at Star Wars, the original, like New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, that's a lot of commentary on not only World War II, but also on the Vietnam War that George was very familiar with because he was a college student at that time. So war was very, very, very much in his mind. And what causes it? How do we get there? That's the story of Star Wars. And that's what we find so fascinating. 39, 40 years later, I think it's like 40 years later, right? Yeah, I'm 39 years old. Like I said, I got to see Star Wars in the womb, which I never actually got to see it that first go around. But I heard it at least, I think. Um, (laughs) Something stuck. Yeah, so it's very deeply entrenched in my old brain pan there. But um, yeah, so what effect, in your opinion, also did the the end of the Jedi for the Imperial period, the the Imperial era, how did the, the vacuum of not having the Jedi affect the galaxy? Anybody? Danny? Let me, I, mean, as far, <laughs> uh, I mean, as far as how I've always felt about the absence of the Jedi, I mean, it, it, 
to me, it was the absence of hope um, because you see time and again in uh, Rebels, in Rogue One, um, even down to Battlefront 2 that's about to be coming out. It's something that they deal with um, where Aiden Bercio even goes to the, she's talking with her father and he's like, well, what is the device of the Rebels? And she smirks and says, hope. Um, and so it, it's all centered around this hope of there's no one to save us. This is what it is and it's never going to change. Um, and it's kind of this endless just blackness, basically, um, is what it seems like. And taking the Jedi out of the equation eliminated, for one, opposition. Um, but mostly it eliminated hope, the hope and the freedom that the Jedi represented, I feel. Sure. So what, what do you think made it easy for the peoples of the galaxies to turn their backs on the Jedi? Like, I mean, I, I know that like, there's the, the whole, like, they tried to assassinate Emperor Palpatine, like, you know, propaganda piece and whatnot. But, I mean, the Jedis were guardians of the galaxy. They, they, I mean, they, they, they were, were superheroes nice. that went around killing people mm -hmm. all the time and destroying yeah. stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, were they their own, you know, they, they had no, um, they had no uh, body above them to, you know, rain down. Hey, look how much collateral damage you did <laughs> on this particular right. thing. So once again, going back to what makes the empire is that you can't have, and this is what is seductive about Palpatine's empire is that pre-Palpatine, you have an entire group of assassins running around independent of the government doing as it pleases with no real uh repercussions other than mm -hmm. we'll we'll take care of it whatever our own do <laughs> and i mean right. that's a neat idea and everything and i mean we all know obi-wan kenobi and yoda you know they're all lovable characters and whatnot but really on a a more human level that would be very unacceptable in your day and age and i think that at the end of the day most of us would find ourselves very much in line with the empire in that thinking. And you might strap a tin can on and march around the galaxy, you know, like, because it, it has to be a little bit disturbing to realize that there is an entire body of assassins that don't need weapons. You, they can, they can choke you with their minds. They can pop <laughs> your head like a grape with a mere thought. And uh, there's no way of knowing who's who. So, well, yeah. and, I, and I feel like the the original, I mean, obviously the original intent of the Jedi was not to be soldiers, um, sure. even though a lot of their training and everything trained them to for the worst case scenario to be defenders. Um, but with the activation of the Clone Wars and uh, Palpatine bringing the Jedi in on the war, I feel like that was the begin of their demise as far as their own architect of their own demise. Sure. Um, because, I mean, before then, they were, again, they were the protectors. Um, Heather, actually, you had said something once in the book that I got you, uh, The Jedi Code, where it talked about how um, <laughs> where it talked about how their clothing was to be a symbol of help and hope. Mm -hmm. um, that by, the, by what you wear, they will know that you are a Jedi. Um, and it was somebody you go to. It wasn't necessarily a fear of, wow, they have this superpower that they could harm me. I don't feel like that was put out to the forefront until the Clone Wars happened when the Jedi were like, yeah, we're getting involved. Um, and at that point, uh, that's where I believe the assassin side of it came on because people saw what the Jedi did. They saw that they could take entire armies down with just, I mean, without hardly even lifting a finger. 
I mean, it was effortless, effortless for him, and that's scary. Sure. Well, also, simultaneously, you, you have what is basically a Jedi that's responsible for the formation of the Clone Wars. Or, or the, the Clone Army, I should say, mm-hmm. in, in the form of, of, you know, who is uh, Darth Tyrannus and, and all of yeah. these guys. Like, I mean, uh, Master <laughs> Sifo-Dyas, like, who's right. that? Uh, we, we never really find out, but we know he's a Jedi and he's been hanging out there, like giving them samples, apparently, um, <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, I don't want to know exactly what that means, but um, yeah, it, it's a very, very fascinating kind of look into that. And like I was saying a, a while ago, construction programs like the Death Star and whatnot are excellent ways to kind of get people once again on the side of the empire. So Palpatine's very smart in doing those things because to build a Death Star, you're going to have to pay a lot of bucks for that. That's not just a a simple one. And using slave labor, you know, because Mm -hmm. once again, talking about our own history, you know, with Adolf Hitler, um, he built the Audubon, which was a huge construction project. And he, he updated so many things, but he did it by either creating a vacuum uh, of, of people who once did a job, so now Germans can get those jobs, or he had an instant workforce that worked for nothing to complete these mm-hmm. jobs. So it's a very, very fascinating dynamic and something that, that George Lucas was very much aware of and incorporated into his Star Wars universe. You know, And I mean, you can imagine some of the conversations that he and Steven Spielberg must have had about this very subject because they're, they're very close friends, you know, during this mm-hmm. time period where they're working on these movies. And Steven Spielberg, of course, making movies like Schindler's List and, and being Jewish himself was probably, you know, I, I can't believe that George Lucas didn't use some inspiration from Spielberg or his friendship with Spielberg in right. the kind of, you know, look at what Palpatine is as this kind of horrible dictator. Like, um, so, yeah, it's very, very fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what I really like about Star Wars as well is that it has a kind of alternative or, or like a weird historic <laughs> kind of thing going on where it, it's it's talking about us, actually. I like really I said, like how Star Wars is not glorifying war. No, mm-hmm. not at all. Like Pirates not- of the Caribbean, pirates are like awesome and right. everybody wants to be a pirate. Well, we don't all <laughs> want to go into Star Wars because although the lightsabers are cool, we don't yeah. want to go around having to be fighting and killing people and yeah so that is one well, some thing. of us don't i don't mind that like i i, I admit <laughs> i would a, either be a smuggler or b i'd probably be a sith lord but like a really crappy one so great <laughs> I, I, I would probably be taking people out for their star wars collectibles like you know my absolute power would just be like i'd go to toys R Us and take it because you could like force snatch it you know and you better hurry that. if you're gonna go to toys R Us. Well, you know, <laughs> speaking of evil empires coming to their demises, um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's terrible. Like, I hate the idea that Toys R Us is going out of business. But, you know, similar to the empire, to bring it back around, if you don't watch your budgets and your spendings, then eventually somebody will put in a, a you know, shaft that will lead to the destruction of your giant ball of fun. So, Yeah. <laughs> Like uh, Toys R Us for years has clogged up the shelves with really pookadook action figures. Like, have you seen some of that stuff? It's really horrible. So they will suffer the wrath of their own actions, just like Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, yeah. Jeffrey Giraffe picks up somebody and throws them down the shaft and explodes into a ball of light. 
you know, that, that might just be all right. So um, that's my wow. opinion. <laughs> Everything revolves. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. But um, do, do you think that Porgs played a part in the destruction of the empire? I, I don't actually. <laughs> you no, know, we, we have something even better, which is, you know, vicious teddy bears that played yes. a role Ewoks. in destroying the empire and once again you know talking about our war similarities this was for i think george lucas not only a marketing bonanza but it was also <laughs> a a kind of nod to the events of the vietnam war where you had a horrifically and i, I mean i say this with no experience in the vietnam war because i wasn't there obviously but you had a a superior army that was armed with the most advanced mechanized machinery and then you had the other side of the the army uh, of the vietnamese army and they were armed with sticks and shuffles sometimes and they were competitors in the same arena they knew their environment they knew how to fight with what they had and this is the key to the ewoks you have a bunch of dudes running around in white suits in the forest i mean can we can we go back to the British running around colonial America in bright red jackets and wonder why was it so easy to shoot them? <laughs> Maybe it's because they look like giant targets. So, plus yourself, the Ewoks were hungry. The Ewoks were freaking hungry. Who wouldn't be hungry? They've been camping for years, forever, <laughs> so just hanging out, playing the drums, and sitting in trees and stuff. You know, like a, you don't know how hard it is for me not to cuss right now. I'm I know. <laughs> I almost said a word. And um, anyway, but yeah, the, the Ewoks are, are basically a commentary because they were supposed to be the Wookiees. Like um, if you don't know anything about the, 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 you know, what was almost in Return of the Jedi, you know, because you can find some great making of books and stuff like that. And the, all the they were supposed to be the Wookiees uh, of Khajiit. That's where, where Return of the Jedi is supposed to end. But it, to make a seven foot tall costume, couldn't we cut that in half and make two? Or we can make an Ewok. It's cheaper. For, for every one Wookiee, we get two Ewoks, maybe even three. Um, so it's an amazing idea. But and that's something in episode three we finally did get to see. And I was super excited about it because, uh, yeah, I think I was reading a Starlog magazine when I was a kid. And it was still titled Revenge of the Jedi, you know. And, um, yeah, they, they talked about, well, we're going to get to see the Wookiees. Uh, yeah. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> So, yeah, and then imagine I'm sitting in the theater. I'm like, I don't know, four or something like that in Return of the Jedi's playing, and it's it's evil teddy bears stabbing up the, the <laughs> Empire. But, dude, I was okay with that. That was great. Like, I love the Ewoks. I still love the Ewoks, you know. Um, I admit that I sing the song sometimes that they tried to take out of the movie, but I still know the words, George Lucas. I haven't forgotten. Lest we never forget um, that there was once an Ewok song at yes, the end of Return of the there Jedi. There is still video evidence somewhere. There is. As long as VHS <laughs> copies exist, we'll be okay. The Empire oh, hasn't won yet. So, um, and, I, and I feel like Wookiees at the end of Return of Jedi would have been just horrifying, to be honest. Because, I mean, of all the things that Ewoks did, yeah. like, it, it just... Uh, I'm hearing an echo, sorry. Yeah, oh, the sorry. echo's pretty bad, I think. Yeah. Really? I, I'm not yeah, getting yeah, any yeah. echo at all. I don't, I don't know what... Uh, maybe it's my voice. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it's your speakers or what, but it's, it's pretty bad at uh, Okay, let me see. Let me... Sorry. Is that any better? We have to talk. Um, it all... No. Oh, yes. sorry. 
A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. I think only we can hear it. Yeah, it, we it can hear like it because we're now. the one. Yeah, yeah, that's better. Yeah. yeah. That's better, but yeah, okay. but um, but like I was saying though, I mean, I feel like the the Wookies at the re- end of Return of the Jedi would have been absolutely horrifying because I mean, if you imagine what all the Ewoks did, and I mean, it was almost masked in cuteness, <laughs> pretty See, much. I whatever. think the Ewoks were <laughs> terrifying because you got I mean, they were to really agree, like, but <laughs> seven then, foot bears just ripping them apart. I mean, you're well, heading I'm, for an R rating in that time. Awesome, because it would be awesome <laughs> if they were Wookies, mind you. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I've always enjoyed the end of Return of the Jedi because Billy D. Williams, if you watch him, he's the only person getting down to the Ewok song. Like, they have that everybody's a hero shot at the end, and he's the only dude, like, clapping and jamming with the Ewoks. Like, everybody else is too stiff and, like, cornbread to, like, not do it. So it's pretty fantastic. I love that scene. and. uh, I love I love Lando Calrissian, by the way. If you've never read the Lando Calrissian novels from the eighties, <laughs> I didn't even know he had novels from the eighties. He has a space Cadillac in it. Nice, really. Uh, like it's not just a normal speeder; it's a Cadillac. Nice. So it's pretty fantastic. The nineteen eighties gave birth to so many awesome things, and that is the mind harp of. Oh my God! It's like the mind harp of Sharu or something like that. It's one of the Lando Calrissian books. Check it out. He drives a space Cadillac. Um, it has a hat and everything. He's got like a captain's hat that he wears. <laughs> That's how you know it's impressive. Yeah, sounds um, like a future book club. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like he's going to the best club. So um, That's amazing. Apparently, the Empire <laughs> did not put the, the kibosh on good fashion, you know, because Lando Calrissian, <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. But, I mean, um, he was a yeah. smuggler. Okay, so. and, and this is another interesting idea is the Empire's effect – on just the common person, because we we look at Han Solo, who was once an Imperial pilot. I mean, in Han Solo, once again, you know, going back to some of the 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 references, I think this is even in the original novelization of the 1977 book. It talks about the stripes that Han Solo has on his pants. They are a throwback to his Imperial days. Like um, they're his Imperial pilot stripes. Like he's still proud of them. And that is a reference, I think, to one of George Lucas's favorite movies called The Searchers with John Wayne. If you've never seen The Searchers, this is about John Wayne's character comes back from the Civil War and he is not repentant about being a Confederate soldier. He accepts it and he moves on. He's not proud of what he's done, but he's not going to hang his head in sorrow either. So Han Solo's little stripes on the side of his pants are a throwback to that, I think. And um, yeah, if you've never seen The Searchers, Go check it out because it has a link to episode three as well with the story of Anakin Skywalker and his mom. The Searchers is about John Wayne is searching for a girl that has been abducted by a tribe of Native Americans. And Anakin is searching for his mother who has been like abducted by a tribe of sand people, like basically Native Americans. And um, yeah, same story. And George Lucas and them even took the canyon scene from the movie The Searchers and put it in episode three. Like they cut the canyon out in the computer and put it there. And that's the one that that Anakin Skywalker standing on. John Wayne stood on the same ledge. It's pretty fantastic. And looked down on the camp of the Native Americans before he attacked it. Same as Anakin Skywalker. So it's the exact same cliff face. They went and filmed it scene for scene. So pretty awesome. Most people don't catch that part of the movie. I I lit up like a Christmas tree when I saw it. I was like, (laughs) ah! Because once again, I like movies and stuff of all types. 
not just Star Wars. But <laughs> I don't know what the Empire would, would look like, you know, in terms of video rentals. Like, do you think they, I mean, <laughs> you would have to think that they would even get into that. And I'm trying to think if there's a reference to the Empire suppressing information, like um, in the movies. Can you think of anything? Um, well, it, you see a lot more of it in Rebels, um, the yeah, suppression well, yeah, of information. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, um, especially on Lothal, where um, it was actually one of the earlier episodes where um, they used an official to basically lure in the Rebel group. Right, um, right. As right. if it was a Rebel cry out or something like that. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you get a lot of that uh, throughout the Rebels series as far mm-hmm. as suppression of information and kind of um, gauging media and... Uh, kind of things like that. Sure, sure. So, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, th- there's just so many interesting ideas and things floating around the Star Wars universe that, you know, no matter what your interest is, I think you can find it somewhere in Star Wars. I, I, Absolutely. I've oftentimes challenged myself to think of things that aren't in Star Wars, and I, I, I come up short most of the time. I just can't mm-hmm. do it, you know. Interested <laughs> in wildlife? There's some fantastic books on Star Wars wildlife. They don't exist. But there's books about them, and you can go look at them. So pretty fascinating. And, I fully um, expect a lot of them for uh, the Last Jedi after the trailer sure, that we just absolutely. saw. Absolutely, <laughs> we're, we're hoping for a fully dissectional uh, uh, porg. Like if we could just I get want a, a porg figure where you pull his organs out and like explore a porg. Yeah. So yeah, explore a porg. Some, somebody <laughs> needs to trademark that, that now. Like, you can have that idea, Hasbro. Take it from me, please. Explore a porg. You know, I mean, it would be a fantastic toy. I would play with it for hours, hours, lovely. I would explore. Explore. I feel like I feel like Heather. You'd have just this gleeful smile the whole time. I would. That's the heart, and that's the lungs. (laughs) Does a porg have lungs? I don't know. Let's find out. Like, that's the fun of playing with explore a porg, kids. So yeah. Now I'm gonna have to make an explore a porg. Oh, that, that's the next t-shirt there you go <laughs> um, yeah you, you should definitely build it to where it has some kind of like pizza meat chamber where you can insert a pepperoni in it you know and eat it for your kids and stuff you know that uh, fox oh. t rono that's for you there you go he's all about porks giving there you go so porks giving would be awesome like we could stuff a pork with mashed potatoes or something it'd be great so yeah, there, there's so many advantages to having these new characters in Star Wars that's just going to give rise to so many positive things in our world, you know? Because Ewok meatloaf never took off, unfortunately. But I think Porksgiving could definitely become a thing that we celebrate. I mean, could you imagine little Porks legs sticking up off the plate, you know, with little booties on them? It'd be beautiful. We could sit around. Uh, it'd be great. Like, Danny, go ahead. Tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> that's right up your alley. <laughs> Like I'm crying, laughing right now. I can't. Do this. Well, you're welcome. Hilarious. I of laughter. Um, oh my and, god! And thoughts. Um, so yeah, think about that, Hasbro. Um, I, I, well, I really hope I go into Walmart one day or and see Explore Porg on the shelf. I'll know that oh, they were. I hope listening. so. That so would make happy. my life. <laughs> yes, and then I'll immediately go and find a lawyer so I can buy more Star Wars toys with my soothing money. I won't actually sue them. I will hold them ransom for more products from them. Oh, yeah, you must build Jabba the Hutt's toilet for me. <laughs> you will do it, and it will come with a porg. Um, oh, I won't goodness. tell you why, but trust me, they're they're buttery soft from what I hear. And as a 
as a connoisseur of, of Hatties toiletry, I'm sure it'll go over pretty big with the kids. <laughs> this I is expect great. a phone call from Hasbro any day now. I've given them so now. many yes. interesting ideas. Poured toilet paper, poured food products. It's amazing. The list Man, just goes on. Michael on. would be all over this. <laughs> Michael would be all over this. Yeah. Sorry if I've derailed our discussion about the Empire. Um, it's just my nature. I'm hard to contain. It's like herding cats. It's never really worked out for me in life. I can't stay on topic. So you just kind of follow me. And yeah. Sorry. We're getting back to our topic of the Empire. Um, I actually do have a question for you because it's something that I've always kind of wondered myself. And okay. you seem like you've got a really great insight um, to all that. I'm very impressed. Um, but uh, so I want to know what you thought Palpatine's end game was, because you have where he ultimately dies and we see where he has contingency plans in place to dismantle the empire after he's gone. So it, it wasn't to have it live forever. So what do you think his purpose was or his end game rather? Yeah, no, no, that that's a fascinating concept because, you know, we look at the dynamic of there can be only two, you know, a master and apprentice. Um, and we see that Darth Vader himself kind of is usurping the throne of Palpatine in Empire Strikes Back, inviting his son to rule the galaxy with him, you know. Mm -hmm. And Palpatine knows this. He has to. This has been the history of the Sith since day one. So when you look at what is the end game, the end game for people who are basically like Palpatine, they're, they're, they're fascists, they're these power-hungry people, their end game is always themselves. They really don't care about the end game. They only mm. care about themselves. And they themselves never believe that they can die. Hitler did not believe he was going to lose. He didn't. Yeah. Hence, he stayed in the bunker until the very end. And at the very end, instead of you know going out in a blaze of glory, he closes the door and, and pops around in his own head because he hmm. never cared. He didn't care about the German people like he said he did because simultaneously, and this is like a, a, a really horrific history fact, was that at the end of the war, Hitler basically orders his soldiers to flood the tunnels, the, the, the tunnels that, that the normal civilians have taken refuge in to slow down the approaching Russian armies. He oh, gets wow. children to defend the streets and old men at gunpoint to go out into the streets to fight Russian advancing troops. He didn't care about the German people. And he even got on the radio and told them that they were all failures and that they will pay the price for their hmm. lack of, of strength and vision. And Palpatine is very much the same way. So what is the end game for Palpatine? Control. He always believes he's in control in one step ahead. He doesn't think Darth Vader's smart enough to get around him. He's already fooled him once with the whole, I can save Padme for you if you just do these things for me. He's a manipulator. Mm -hmm. And at the mm -hmm. end of the day, the, the, the control people, the manipulators, they never believe they can be outsmarted. They never they believe they're immortal. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe Palpatine is immortal. I mean... It's possible we don't because know. We, yeah. we know that, that you know, the Jedi, they continue on in spirit form. We've seen the spirits of the Sith in other forms. So maybe mm -hmm. Palpatine's endgame was to achieve a certain type of immortality through the gathering of power. But um, this this kind of this kind of works a little bit to his disadvantage because 
if his end game is to gain absolute power, <laughs> um, <laughs> having a student of any type is mm -hmm. is a kind of detriment to him. So the idea of the two, the master and apprentice, it, it, it's not realistic. So his end game is always to serve himself. What's up, Heather? Oh, I was just going to say Palpatine's revolving door of apprentices. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. That, Maul but that's the point. and Tyrannus and right. Vader and Skywalker and whoever else was going to be next. I mean, he never... Mm -hmm. He never cared about any of his apprentices. He just no. had them around as, here, do what I want you to do. You know? Right. The puppet master doesn't believe in his toys. Right. The audience might, but he doesn't. He knows they're just puppets. Like Darth Vader with all of his armor and stuff like that, he he doesn't believe in that. Other people are terrified of it, you know, in the Empire. I mean, this walking, talking personification of death. But Palpatine, he built it. So he's like, this is completely unimpressive to me. Right. And, um, yeah. So, and that, that's what I think Palpatine's in game is. I don't think he is a realistic person. I think he's a mm -hmm. person who believes he's always in control and he's not, unfortunately. There's so do you something... feel with, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I apologize. No, I there's something <laughs> bigger than Palpatine yeah. in the galaxy. And that's the truth. It's the force. It's the common people. And whether there was a Jedi or not, they would have killed Palpatine because what kills Palpatine is him sitting inside the Death Star while just normal rebel troops are taking out the power generator. Mm -hmm. Like it has nothing to do with the force. It's just a bunch mm -hmm. of teddy bears running around attacking dudes <laughs> in armor. Some some dopey rebel soldiers, you know, in, in ponchos and whatnot. That's what brings down the Empire. Uh, a really bug-eyed Celestian and, and Lando Calrissian and Wedge Antilles. See, None that's what I love, though, is that the the normal, it doesn't have, you don't have to have the force. You don't have to be right. special or, you know, extraordinary. You can just be regular and you can still make a difference. Indeed, indeed. I often find if I'm regular enough, I can make a difference, too. There you go. <laughs> I eat porg every day and it keeps me completely regular, kids. Like, so explore porg and enjoy your porg toilet paper. Compliments of Eric. I hope it happens. Um, yeah, but um, sorry to get um, off track again. No, but, you're yeah, good. That, my that's question my answer for you, actually. Question. Yeah, um, my question for you, actually. So, so you said that his end game was control, that he never thought that he would need an end game. So, do yeah. you believe that his. I guess, contingency after death that he put in place um, that we actually see playing out in uh, Aftermath and uh, the, the new Battlefront game. Um, do you feel like that was him assuming that he would be immortal? Well, yeah, but he says so. He says that he's learned to cheat death. That's core to who he is. He mm -hmm. himself, as Darth Sidious, not as Palpatine, but as his true self, he is Darth Sidious. He learned to cheat death, to control even death itself. So that's why there is no plan for Palpatine beyond, I will be here forever. So try as you might to kill me, I, I'm here. I am the controller of death itself. And that is the ultimate power, isn't it? That is absolute power, is when we control wow. death. So mm -hmm. Palpatine has no in-game. He doesn't have to. He can sit on his throne and, and rule the galaxy forever and ever. 
So what is the Battlefront 2? Um, have you seen the trailer? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, what is the, what is his um, project? What is uh, Cinder? Operation Cinder. Operation yeah. Cinder. Mm-hmm. You tell me. I haven't played the game yet. Um, well, but, no, well, we haven't gotten to play the story mode either. Mm -hmm. It's the trailer for Battlefront right. 2. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, so, yeah so, I, so the messenger comes in and says that we're activating Operation Cinder and talks to um, Commander Ver or I don't know if he's Commander Admiral. I think it's Admiral Versio. Um, he talks to him about how, hey, I have a certain certain targets. They're strange, but these are what our Emperor commands. Mm -hmm. And so go do them. And so I don't know if it, I mean, we don't know right now if it's a dismantle such and such, or if it's like a self-sabotage kind of thing sure. or what it might be. So um, I was just wondering as far as, so, so assuming that he has this plan in place, um, what do you think that that would look like as far as like, if he were to have this final, this is my final wish as the emperor, I have died, go do this for me. What yeah. do you think that would well, going going once again back to history, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk a, another interesting facet of World War II and a man named Otto Scorzini. Are you familiar with a man named Otto Scorzini? I'm not. Okay. Uh, he was one of the German uh, elite paratroopers who broke Mussolini out of prison shortly after the Allies had captured him. These were crack commandos. Later on, after the end of World War II, or, or I should say right up to the end of World War II, Otto Scorzini and his men bury weapons and money all over Germany under Hitler's orders. They became a unit known as werewolves. The werewolves were supposed to attack by night and disappear. Once Hitler was dead, that was his command, was to wreak hell upon the earth. Like, just do it. Hide this money, hide these weapons, it will be tight for a little while, but you will come out and you will be able to blow stuff up and cause all kinds of mischief and horror. Otto Scorzini, and, and this is this is talking about you know the the whole angle of what do you think Emperor Palpatine would do? We look mm -hmm. to his his earthly uh, counterpart, which would be Hitler, and what Hitler did was he mobilized an entire unit of devout followers, and those guys became the real architects of the neo-Nazi movement that were smuggling German officers out of Germany to South America. Hence, we huh. have Joseph Mengele, the doctor of death himself. What is he doing in South America when he dies mid-stroke in a swimming pool? I mean, and that was in the 1960s. He had, a, he had a heart attack in a swimming pool, I think. How did he get there? How did the German scientists, like one of the engineers of death in Auschwitz, end up in a swimming pool in South America in the 1960s. And it was huh. because of the actions of Oro Scorzini uh, smuggling these officers and other high-ranking German officials out. And that's what I think Palpatine would do as well to ensure the survival of his doctrines. And that's what the First Order is, kind of. At mm -hmm. the end of Return of the Jedi, an elite group of officers get together in probably what is their Star Destroyers, and they take off for the, the frontier. They disappear into the outer rim of the galaxy where no one goes. And years later, they will emerge as a powerhouse called the First Order under the leadership of a guy named Snoke. And you have General Hux and Captain Phasma and all of these guys. This is like Goering, Himmler, and, and you know so on and so forth in the German Empire. 
And once again, with the First Order, they do something that Hitler did, which was they ignore the, the treaties to not remobilize an army. They just ignore it. In the 1930s, they had the Treaty of Versailles, which basically told Germany, you can't build weapons of war on a grand scale anymore. No more battleships with giant guns. These submarines that you developed in World War I, you need to scrap that. Hitler begins doing this again. And the other countries are like, don't do that, Hitler. And Hitler's like, I'm not going to do it very much. I'm just going to make three of them <laughs> that turn into four and five. And I need some boats to go with them because what's going to tow the submarines? Dumb boats. Like, I need the boats with the guns, obviously. And people were like, okay, Hitler, we're going to give you this one just a little bit. And that's what happened in, in The Force Awakens is that you see the Republic, the, 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 the new government, they have acquiesced to these growing armaments of the first order thinking nothing's going to happen like it's not going to be a repeat because everyone wants to believe it's not a repeat of world war one they couldn't believe after world war one the war to end all wars that hitler was going to drive us into another one can't believe it not going to do it like i know they're building boats but he's never going to use them he's never that crazy as to get us into war again and that's what the first order is it's it's like hitler's doomsday machine kind of come back upon us to wreak havoc in the world so what would Palpatine do? He'd probably tell his officers to run off into the outer rim and regroup and come back and destroy these people. Like always be what you wow. are. And so that's my opinion. I agree. Wow. I think his um, final order would be to prove how powerful he is by mm -hmm. still yes. ruling the galaxy. Right. Transcending right. death. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we purpose. Yeah. Uh, of how far Palpatine will go, he targets the the moon, the the sanctuary moon, to destroy it. Like he's like, I I can fix all this. Like we'll blow the moon up. Like done. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that that's just a, a crazy idea. And that that's the point is you're building planet killers. And when you kill a planet, I mean that's kind of a <laughs> that's a really finalizing kind of thing. Like for your authority is we're not going to talk about. It. We're just going to blow it apart everything that is alive every ecosystem every resource on that planet bah, who cares we're gonna blow it up you know to show them that we can and that's the that's what um that's what the destruction of the the temple on jetta or the the you know mm -hmm. all of that is an example of this is what i can do and this mm -hmm. is why you should respect me because if you don't i am the personification of death kind of like the nuclear bomb you know, when Oppenheimer pins his famous, you know, I am become death. That's what Palpatine is basically saying, or Tarkin through Palpatine is basically saying, I have become death. I, I am the final power in the universe. And what is the greatest power in the universe? Death. It's what none of us get to come back from. It's permanent. So be careful with what you do with me. I control everything. Right. That's that's what Palpatine is. Wow. <laughs> So, That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> so cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm speechless after all that, to be honest with you. I mean, I feel like I've, I've gained so much knowledge and just your insight is amazing, man. Well, I, 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 I really appreciate you coming on. Um, well, you're quite Do you want me to talk about what I think Jabba the Hutt's toilet has to look like? <laughs> is it gold? That's another show altogether. It'll have drawings. Um, there you go. We'll have, possibly we'll have a sculpture. There um, you go. <laughs> yeah. No, but... Yeah. 
So <laughs> that's awesome. So cool. So uh, Heather, did you have anything else you wanted to add to the show? I can't think of anything. Okay, cool. Um, Eric, is there anything else you wanted to add on or any last words or anything like that? Yes. Buy Exploraporg. It's going to be amazing. Um, support <laughs> my product so that I can have uh, absolute power over Hasbro uh, when they steal my idea. So steal it, Hasbro. I dare you. Like, <laughs> I will get them to build so many things for me. Um, yeah. Uh, on, a, on a side note, do you have a favorite Imperial toy action figure product thing what's your favorite imperial thing those dudes are some some really great designers like sign our fleets and, and whatnot i mean they they really <laughs> make some things though so yeah i'm a huge fan of just the tie fighter i love it oh yes i've loved the Absolutely. tie fighter since i was a kid with the pop-off wings the beep, beep, beep noise that it made it was oh, amazing yeah. oh admiral thrawn all right, Eric. So thank you so much for joining hey, us on the show. I mean, like, I feel like a sponge. Like, I just like soaked up so much knowledge. I love it. Like, well, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I'm just happy to be invited on to your show and stuff like that. And um, it's a treat for me, really, because I usually hate talking to people. I only talk to a few of them about my love of Star Wars for, for realsies. Because I used to wear Star Wars t-shirts every day when I worked in the bookstore. And people would come in and be like, so you're into Star Wars? And I'd be like, I love Captain Kirk and Spock and Chewbacca. <laughs> it, it was a total conversation killer. They hated it. So, um, And guys, it, definitely uh, check out our social media. Um, come follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Kessel Run Weekly. You can find us on KesselRunWeekly.com. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, we've got a lot of awesome content coming out. We recently uh, released a reaction and review trailer to the last Jedi trailer that just came out, um, which was amazing <laughs> to give you kind of a little bit of a look into that. And so, I mean, it was absolutely awesome. Um, definitely check out what we had to say on that. So check us out there, guys. And until next time, my name is Danny. I'm Heather. And I'm Eric. May the force be with you.